Don't give up. Don't quit. Jesus does not want us to give up in prayer. He instructs us to be persistent. Uh, in Luke 18, 1, he says, Now he uh, was telling them a parable to show them that, all, that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. And there's a difference between a persistent prayer and a long prayer. A person who is persistent in prayer does not necessarily have to pray for a long time. We have our prayer vigil we do right before Easter every year. So it's a special time. And those of you who participated in that over the years, you've told me when I first signed up for the 30 minutes, I thought, oh, well, I'll never get 30 minutes of prayer. And now you're going, I, I can't get enough in in 30 minutes. So I'm suggesting you take two slots, take an hour. I know some people are taking more than that, just straight prayer because they're needing that extra time. Persistence, don't give up, don't give in, don't quit. Some people give up easy, too easy on prayer. They quit because they say they don't feel like praying, that joy is not there, the feeling is just not there, but we're not to live by our feelings, we're to live by the commands of God who tells us to pray without ceasing. George Mueller, known as one of the greatest prayer warriors in, of all time, when he talks about the persistence of prayer, says it this way, it is a common temptation of Satan to make us give up the reading of the word in prayer when our enjoyment is gone, as if it were of no use to read the scriptures when we do not enjoy them, and as if it were no use to pray when we have no spirit of, of prayer. The truth is, in order to enjoy the word, we ought to continue to read it, and the way to obtain a spirit of prayer is to continue praying. The less we read the Word of God, the less we desire to read it. The less we pray, the less we desire to pray. So the more you're there, the better it gets. You don't have to feel like it. Pray. You don't have to feel like it. Read. Because God will touch your life if you will do that. If you're going to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus, prayer is not an option. You're going to be like him. You've got to pray as he did. He was persistent in prayer and his followers were committed to follow his lead. Second thing that Paul tells us is found also here in verse 2 when he says pray passionately. Pray passionately. If you are to persist in something, it stands to reason that you would want to be passionate about it as well. Paul says that we should be vigilant, to be watchful opposite of slothfulness. I love that Bible word. I was trying to find out, uh, find a different word to use, but slothfulness sounds good because you sound really ugly when you're slothful. I raised some kids that were slothful at times. That's why I told Cindy, I said, you got a door, shut the door. She said, how could they live in there? I said, well, we don't and it don't matter. Shut the door. She said, every time I look in there, it seems like the piles are breathing. I said, they may be. There may be toxic waste under all those piles. I don't know. But I said, they'll figure it out. Usually after they get married and they have a wonderful wife who says, that ain't happening anymore. <laughs> S.D. Gordon in his book, Quiet Talks on Prayer, says this, how much prayer meant to Jesus. It was not only his regular habit, but his resort in every emergency, however slight or serious. When perplexed, he prayed. When hard-pressed by work, he prayed. When hungry for fellowship, he found it in prayer. He chose his associates and received his messages upon his knees. If tempted, he prayed. If criticized, he prayed. If fatigued in body or wearied in spirit, he had, re he had recourse to be 
uh, to his uh, one unfailing habit of prayer. Prayer brought him unmeasured power at the beginning, kept the flow unbroken and undiminished. There was no emergency, no difficulty, no necessity, no temptation that would not yield to prayer. So should we be, folks. Follow the lead of Jesus. Every time we see Jesus praying, he was praying with passion. In Luke 3, 1, at his baptism, while he was praying, the heavens were open. Passionate prayer will open heaven. In Luke 6, 6, 12, before he called his disciples, he spent the whole night in prayer. Passionate prayer opens the windows of heaven and shines God's light in the direction of our path. Luke 9, 29, at his transfiguration, while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. His clothing became white and gleamed. Passionate prayer ushers us into the throne room of heaven and enables us to experience the glory of the Father. John 17, he prayed for all of those who would follow him, that we would be kept from the evil one and that we would be sanctified by the truth, which is his word. Passionate prayer expresses that deep desire of our heart and reveals that love for others. Luke twenty two forty four, where Jesus is praying through the night in the garden of Gethsemane and being in agony, the Bible says he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Passionate prayer will enable us to be totally honest with God. Even when we're in the midst of our most trying circumstance. Luke 23, 24, as he hung on the cross, passionate prayer is a portal to God's power. It strengthens us internally and is often a conduit for God's grace upon us. Jesus always prayed with passion. Because he knew who it, who it was that he was talking to. And he knew that access to the Father is a powerful blessing that's given to us. Prayer from the heart. Passion in prayer. That's where it comes from. It's a prayer from the heart, not just from the head. Because when you get your heart involved, your head will do silly things. <laughs> they say love is blind. I've seen some people get in love when they shouldn't be in love because they got their heart involved before the head got involved. But if you get your head and heart involved, you're in trouble. That's when men go and buy rings they can't afford and make offers that they don't even plan to keep, but they hope they can. And when the heart and the head get involved, that woman's crazy enough to accept it. (laughs) We celebrated our 34th anniversary this weekend. And uh, I made the silly mistake, I guess, of putting it on Facebook. Boy, floods of people. Way to go, way to go. More than one person said, you're way over your head, pal. (laughs) Hey, I knew that a long time ago. But passion, where does that passion come from? It comes from the heart. Prayer from the heart is the kind of prayer that God wants to hear and that God can respond to. Jesus taught us specifically that we should pray that way. In Matthew 6, in verse 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, He instructed about prayer. He gives us what has become known as the Lord's Prayer. But just before the Lord's Prayer, what does He say? When you pray, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. How many times do we hear people pray and you lack passion? I remember growing up as a kid in the Church of Christ, the guys that prayed at the table seemed like it was the same guys every week that prayed at the table. 
And before long, you could mouth the prayers that they would pray because there was nothing ever different. Oh, Lord. You, know, you, can, just, you can just do it like they do. And where's the power? Where's the passion? Remember the guy that prayed, and he was praying and then got his word stumbled up. He said, oh, Lord, bless this fruit of the loom. Yeah, I say, that can happen. Or the other guy that was praying, and he said, Lord, bless our falling shorts. James 5.16 says the effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And if we're going to be disciples of Christ, to take up our cross daily and to follow him, it will require passion in our prayer. But not only must we pray persistently and passionately, we must pray gratefully. In verse 2 it says, and with a thankful heart. A constant theme that runs through our prayers should be the theme of gratitude. Paul never fails to mention it. Ephesians 5.20 tells us that thanksgiving is the natural result of being filled with and walking under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 4.6 tells us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything we pray, giving thanks as we make our petitions known to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells us that giving thanks at all times is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.17 says that as believers, everything we say or do should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus as we give thanks to Him. 1 Timothy 4.4 says that food and marriage are good things given to us by God and are to be received with thanksgiving and gratitude. Now I've got these verses listed in your outline. Spend some time this week opening the scripture, reading those verses and letting them apply to your heart. Expressing gratitude accomplishes several things. Let me, let me mention a few. Number one, it expresses dependence. Dependence. It says you know who God is, you know who you are, and you're aware at least to some degree how desperate you are without Him. When we pray, it should always express our understanding that every breath we take is but a gift from God. Every blessing we receive is but a gift from God. Secondly, it generates humility. It generates humility. When we express gratitude, it continues to remind us how truly helpless we are without God. Folks, you can't make it. I can't make it without God. I don't even want to try. God is there. God is leading. And we need to be humble about that. In Micah 6, 8, it says, He has told you, old man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Third thing that showing gratitude in prayer helps is it demonstrates relationship. Demonstrates relationship. It says that we know He's our Father and that we are His children. And His children we know, as His children, He knows that we lo He loves us and has provided for us out of that love for us. Isn't it great, parents, when finally those children get old enough to maybe be married, start to have their own children, they come back and just whisper. They'll never say it out loud because they, you know. <laughs> but they'll whisper in your ear, wow, you were right. Hey, Dad, Thanks. Well, that's worth the whole thing, isn't it? Just to have your kids show gratitude. We need to be people of gratitude. I'm grateful that the NFL figured out how to solve all their problems so we could have football. I'm grateful. 
I sit and watch preseason last night. You don't get to see the big boys play, but to me it's more fun because these are the guys that are really hungry because they want to make the team. Dallas was playing Denver, and they were tied, and it was down to the last 15 seconds, and this quarterback rolls out to the right, and he's got to throw a two-point conversion to win the game. They're behind by one, and he stops, and he looks, and he can't find anybody. Finally, a guy standing wide open, across his body, he throws it, touchdown, and everybody's going wild. I'm grateful for that. My granddaughter wanted to go to the stadium last night. She thought the Trojans were playing last night. That's my granddaughter. <laughs> Gigi asked her, said, do you want a jersey that says jinx or a cheerleading dress that says jinx? She said, none of that. Gigi, I want to go to the game. <laughs> That's a Holy Spirit-led granddaughter right there. Praise God. But we got to express gratitude. Because when we do that, it shows relationship. And relationship is what's important. There are a few things... Few things in life that are disappointing or heartbreaking as ungrateful people, especially if it's our own children. We need to find ways to teach them to be grateful. And the benefits we enjoy are the benefits of that relationship, expressing gratitude. It demonstrates the reality of that relationship. And when we pray with persistence, with passion, it enables us to express the depth of our gratitude to God who loves us so much, sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and give us the hope and promise of eternal life. We should throw our hands up and say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Pray with gratitude. But there's more. Look at verse 3. Pray selfishly. We must pray for others. Intercessory prayer is important. We have some wonderful prayer warriors in our church. They're not the only ones who can pray for intercession. I'm going to tell you that right now. You don't have to call just one or two people to say, pray for me. You can pray for yourself. Did you know that? You can even pray for other people. Well, boy, you know, I, 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 I just don't know how to pray. I don't know how to do Hey, that's, this is a good time for you to learn. Maybe those intercessors will agree in prayer with you, but don't dump your problem and your prayer on them. You partner with them and pray, man. Woo, there might be something great happen there if we partner together in prayer. Intercessory prayer characterized the prayer life of Jesus. Isaiah 53, 12 says, He himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. Luke twenty two twenty three, Jesus says, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Luke 23, 24, uh, 34, On the cross, Jesus was praying for others when he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. John 14, 15, Jesus intercedes for us, asking the Father to send the Holy Spirit. John 17, 9, he prays for us, the church, in his high priestly prayer when he says, Listen to the intercessory nature of this prayer. Listen to this. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me. Wow. He's praying specifically for his disciples, and then for us. Romans 8.34 tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25 says this, So also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Wow. Wow. He's always fighting in our, on our side. He's always standing up for our best interests. Jesus prayed intercessory prayers. He was praying for others. And, and when you understand the power of prayer, 
Paul wanted the Colossian Christians to understand. He wanted them to pray with specific purposes. I want you to begin to pray as a church for more worship leaders, more worship members. We need a drummer. We need a bass player. Uh, we need more folks. Maybe you want to sing. We've got room for you to sing right alongside Misty and Jeff. We want you to be a part of that. We need to pray for families to come to our church. If we don't pray for it, it ain't going to happen. Pray for people to come to the church. Then put legs to those prayers and invite them to come. I think we've got a great church that loves people. We do. We're not the biggest church in town, but that's okay. We can still call you by name. Isn't that awesome? We sure can. But we've got to have purpose. Our prayers need to have purpose to them. Amen? And if we'll pray on purpose, good things can come from it. One of the most misunderstood realities of discipleship is that it is never a purely selfish thing. God's purpose in making us more like Jesus is not an end unto itself. It always has purpose. He wants us to look like His Son. That's why it grieves Him when He looks at us the way we are now. If He doesn't see the blood covering us, we're in trouble. Amen? So you've got to have that blood covering you. John 20 and 21, Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, I send you. So He is sending us into this world to demonstrate to others what God looks like. Got a purpose. Our purpose in spiritual growth is not merely to enjoy the personal benefits of fellowship with God, though that's a good thing. It's ultimately to become more useful in the kingdom and to carry out that great commission of making disciples of all the nations and baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that He's commanded us. Paul is not asking them in the Colossian church to pray for his legal situation. Did you notice that? He said, well, boy, you'll pray that my lawyer can really defend me well. He's praying for more opportunity to share the gospel to those that are around him. Are we praying for that? Are you praying for that? God, make me a light. God, give me the words to say to so-and-so, my co-worker, such-and-such, because I want to bring Christ to the workplace. Oh, there's always a purpose. Paul was always concerned with doing the will of God. How many of our prayers are, are directed as the expansion of his, uh, of his eternal kingdom rather than the expansion? expansion of our petty kingdoms we're called to pray for others and there's three things this morning that practically I want you to take away from here to help you in your prayer life number one examine your heart attitude prayer is fellowship with God it is a direct reflection of that relationship with God and it always involves our heart if you are in love with God, your prayer life will reflect that love. If you love your husband or wife, that love is reflected in how you treat each other, how you respond to each other, how you show respect for each other. Politics are politics, but boy, the other night I watched the uh, Republican uh, deal. And the only question that was asked to a female person on the stage was this. Your husband told you to go to law school and you decided you didn't want to do that, but then you thought about it and you said the Lord told you to be submissive to your husband. And the question was, if you were president, would you be submissive to your husband? I, lo 
I loved her answer. She said, nope. She said, what I've done is that we've learned to respect each other. He respects me and I respect him. He's a man of God and a godly man and raises our children and I love him for that. Whoa, I thought, man, that's a great answer. Because that shows a relationship, doesn't it? It doesn't show a hierarchy. It shows a relationship. It shows mutual respect. You see, in Ephesians 5, when it says that women should submit to their husbands, that's where most men stop. Problem is, women can't learn to submit to their husbands until the husbands show them how to submit as Christ loved the church, it says. Yeah, well, don't read that part. Okay, I got you. See, that's the problem. Women can't submit until men show them how. That's some news you hadn't heard in a while, huh? Ladies are saying, where's that? Where's that? <laughs> it's in Ephesians 5. Examine your heart attitude. Secondly, measure your words. Measure your words. Words can hurt or heal. I raised my voice this morning to some young people as they came into Sunday school. Right at the tail end and just caught me off guard and I shouldn't have raised my voice. So I went up to him afterwards and I put my arm around her and I said, you know what? I said, next time when you get a chance and, and you know the adults are in class, I said, just don't, just don't rush in there. Just, just give us a few more minutes and we can close, okay? And I told her that I was sorry that I raised my voice because that's what's important. She needed to hear that, that even adults mess up. We do. We do all the time. I wish I was perfect, but like I said earlier, we're an imperfect group of people trying to do life together here. And we're going to say things we shouldn't say. We're going to display attitudes we shouldn't have. But the great news is God can love us in spite of that. And we should love each other in spite of that. But measure your words. Psalm 19 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. God hears what we say especially words spoken in prayer. And then thirdly, release your life. Release your life. How can you expect God to take you seriously if you're not willing to participate in God's answer to your prayer? Can you seriously pray for lost people to come to Christ if you're not willing to share with people? Can you honestly pray for God to meet the material needs of another if you're not willing to contribute some of what God's entrusted to you? You see, if we're going to be effective in our prayer lives, we must first be sold out and willing to take action when God responds. Your involvement may be part of His answer to prayer. God wants us involved. Amen? So get off your duff and get involved. Pray, but then put legs to those prayers. Don't say, oh God, we need this, we need that, we need this, we need that. You get up and try to help provide it. I'll wait for an amen. I'll still wait for an amen. amen. I'll wait for a bigger one. Amen. Even a much bigger one. Amen. Now you're talking. Because they praise the Lord, but then some of you leave, so we'll stop on that. What does your prayer life look like this morning? What does yours look like? Are you persistent in prayer? Are your prayers passionate? Are they filled with intensity and fervor? Or are they weak, timid, and lacking in faith? Oh God, I know that you will respond 
Well, you do to others, but I, I'm sure you're not going to me. But, but you do. Isn't that how we pray? Yeah. We don't pray believing that he's going to listen to us. We pray believing he's going to listen to other people, but not us. Pray in faith. Pray in faith. Put passion in that prayer. What would happen in your life if you began to pray that way? What would become of your spiritual discipline as a warrior for God if you began to pray with purpose? Instead of doing some of the things that have created problems for you, you might find victory around the corner. We were studying in Sunday school in Exodus chapter 3. Great chapter. Go read it. The section there on the burning bush. And God is talking to Moses. Moses is giving him excuses. And on the second excuse, he says, when you are going, this is what's going to happen. When you're going. In other words... He, he was sending him to Pharaoh to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And God didn't say, well, if you plan to go. He said, when you are going. So God already knew the victory plan. Just fall in line with him. He knows your victory. He knows your plan. Fall in line with him. And let him do what he needs to do in you as you submit to him. Let's pray together. Father, as we lead to our time of invitation. I'm praying for the hearts of your people in this room today. That God, they will earnestly seek you in prayer. They will persistently, passionately want you to respond to them. But God, the first thing that we have to do in order to receive that is do what we are taught in scripture and that's to make sure that this vessel is clean the pharisees were great examples of polishing the outside of the cup while leaving the inside of the cup dirty god we can't expect you to do great things if the inside of the cup is still dirty but if we'll clean it up and keep it clean, we don't even have an opportunity to understand what you can do with a vessel like that. So God, would you impress upon us to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with you, and Father, would we lay it at the foot of the cross And would we clean up whatever it is and begin a life of passionate, persistent prayer as we discipline our spiritual lives to be more like your son, Jesus. The great news is that no matter how far we've strayed or how complacent we've become, instantly, you can restore instantly you can revive instantly you can heal and forgive so God if there's somebody here in need of that touch especially in their life would you touch them today and give them the courage to respond in Jesus name we pray amen let's stand as we sing our
song of invitation. And if God's touching your heart, respond to him today. Our elders will be here at the front to receive you for prayer.